grateful um, to be back and sharing in the word. So what we've been doing in our church is we've actually been going through the book of First Samuel. And so I wanted to just kind of continue that with you all as well as we join together this week and be able to share from um, some of the wisdom that we learned from the book of First Samuel. Now, at our church, we've actually gotten all the way up to First Samuel chapter 12, and we are working through it. And as we work through it, one of the things that I have felt like in my own life is that I'm constantly trying to will a right view of God in the lives of people. Now, whether that is through just preaching from a pulpit or just through casual conversation, personally, there is nothing more important for me than to get people to see the glory of who the God of the Bible actually is. But in that same vein, that understanding of what the grace of God truly is comes alive to me. What makes my own salvation beautiful is that it is a product of God's grace towards me, and anyone else in this room who is saved can testify of that as well. Your salvation is not because of your goodness. Your salvation is not because of your merit, but your salvation is because of God, not you. But you see, the struggle that I have is that if all of salvation is the product of grace, then that means that there is no amount of laboring that I can do, there is no amount of preaching that I can do that will make anyone come to save in faith. I can preach the truth, I can share the gospel, but the heart work is a work of God and God alone, not man. And I know that my salvation is a product of grace, and I find that freedom there, but I also feel desperation in knowing that there are friends and family members that I have who are not saved, who do not know the Lord. So what gives the hope in God that I need? It is that he has given us a radical and overwhelming amount of grace. It is knowing that God's grace in my own life did not come up short of saving me. So today we're looking, as I mentioned, at 1 Samuel 12, and Samuel's giving his farewell address, and in one part of his sermon, he hones in on the grace of God and his impact on the lives of all the Israelites. He not only reminds them of God's past grace, but he charges them to grab hold to the righteousness and take full advantage of the grace which is a product of God's surpassing love for us. So look with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel. We're going to start at chapter 6. I believe in reading the Bible in, in church, so we're reading 6 through 25. 1 Samuel 12, verse number 6. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed him, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, 
who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Caesarea, commander of the armor of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asherah. But now deliver us out of the hand of the enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and deliver you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word today. We thank you that your word is divinely inspired, and it is all for our good and for reproof and for correction. It is breathed out from you. So Lord, we just pray that you will give us um, a word from the Lord that will help us see the immense power of your grace. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so we get here and Samuel opens his sermon up here by challenging the people of Israel to remember. He charges them to remember. Now, why is he, as he is leaving, now bringing up the past? Because he knows just how important their past mistakes were in order to understand their future success in God. I actually remember when I was a child, when my sister and I had gotten of age, 
my mother would allow us to stay at home by ourselves sometimes. And when she would do this, she had this way of bringing up some little random thing that I didn't know she knew I had done. And right as she was getting ready to leave, she would say something like, now I'm getting ready to leave, but I know you're not going to leave those clothes in the middle of the floor like you did last night. And then she would just be gone. She would just close the door. Now, why would she do that? (laughs) Because she wanted me to know that the last thing she said was a reminder. She wanted to remind me on the one hand that I had done something that I was not supposed to do, but she was giving me grace. But she was also saying, but if you forget this grace, there will be a leathery punishment awaiting you when I get back home. And so this brings us to our first point for today. Grace exists because of sin. Grace exists because of sin. So what is grace? If you read, if you go out there, there are lots of definitions for what grace is. But as I have grown, as I've had my own children, as I've understood more from the Bible, I've realized that grace is the space that God gives us to repent. Grace is the space that God gives us to repent. Where have we first seen this grace from God? We first saw it in the Bible with Adam and Eve. When God knew what they'd done, what does he ask them? Where are you? God asked that question not because he doesn't know where they are, but in the moment he gave them the space to confess their wrong, confess their sin, and turn away from what they had done. That space he gives is the grace we need in order to repent. Without our sin, grace is unnecessary. But because of our human nature, we struggle with a little forgetfulness sometimes, don't we? We sometimes forget that the sins of our past necessitates the grace of our present. And our struggle with our human condition is that we want all the grace of God without acknowledging why we need grace in the first place. So like Israel, we need reminders. So Samuel offers them a reminder, and we saw, this is what he said. He said, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed him, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot their God. Why is Samuel bringing up old sin? Because just like my mother, he's getting ready to leave. But before he walks out of the door, he gives them this charge that God had given them all the space they needed in order to turn back to him. Look at what you've done, Israel, to disgrace him. When your sins led you into captivity, it was the grace of God that got you out. And what did you do after that, Israel? He says, you forgot him. You know when God was picking his chosen people, you would think that he could have made a little better selection than Israel. 
Why would he pick so small a nation of people, such a rebellious nation of people? Why would he pick such a sinful nation of people? Well, because Israel is just like us. We, from our start, are sinners. We are not born righteous. We are not born desiring God. The Bible says there is none who seeks after him. No, not one. You know who that includes? That includes you. None of us desires the righteousness of God apart from a bleeding Savior on the cross who makes salvation possible. And you know, to be honest, we have a very what-have-you-done-for-me-lately relationship with God. And at the heart of that is our pride. If we go back for a second to Adam and Eve, the only reason they needed grace was because their prideful heart said, we deserve to be like God and know like God. And so they sinned. None of us in this room receives grace from God because we're good people. At our core, we are sinners who need the grace of God in order to be saved. And the most difficult thing for most people to see is that they need grace from God. Why does the Bible tell us we need grace? Well, it gives us a good clue. Paul does in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. This is what Paul says. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But this is the key. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with him in Christ. And this is the key. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is our starting place. We are born with a tremendous sin debt that each one of us owes. Paul says it very clearly. He doesn't mince words. He says, you were dead. What a way to say it. But it's true. Can you imagine when trying to help someone understand the depths of the gospel and understand the depths of their sin that you say, but by the way, you're dead. 
How can we communicate our need for the radical grace of God without understanding how desolate we are spiritually? It's like this. For those of you who don't know, I used to be a banker. And when I was a banker, I remember there was one time a girl came in to get a loan. And when she did, she was denied. And she said this was one of multiple occasions, and she couldn't understand why she kept getting denied for these loans. She had not, as far as she knew, messed up her credit. And in fact, she said, I'm pretty diligent about my credit. I said, well, let me pull up your credit report. And when I did, I found massive amounts of debt. There were light bills, there were gas bills, there was a few apartments, all in her name. And I saw the shock on her face, and she realized that her mom, when she was a child, had put several things in her name. And she got upset because she realized it's not fair that I'm paying off somebody else's debt. That's not right, she said. My mother messed up my credit. I said, but hold on. There's also a number of open credit cards and loans that are all in your name. And she said, well, I got those, but I always pay them back on time. She said, I thought that would make my credit good. And then she realized she had two issues, the same issues that we have. She had debt that was passed down to her through her mother, and she was having to pay for it. But see, she had also accrued her own debt. But you know what? It all needed to be paid off. We likewise have received debt passed down to us from Adam all the way down because of their sin in the garden. But you know what else we've done? We've accrued our own sin debt, each one of us, and we do not have enough money in our accounts to pay that sin debt off. We need someone whose account is infinite, who has no sin, and who can make once and for all the payment for our sins, and he did, and his name is Jesus. He satisfied once and for all the wrath of God, and he paid the final payment for our sins. We need grace from God. Our second point, grace has standards. Grace has standards. This is what it says. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Grace has standard, people. In our world today, people like to throw the word grace around. You need to show grace. You need to have grace. But grace has never been given so that people will be allowed to continue sinning. God instructs the people through Samuel that if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you. Listen to me. Grace is not grace if there is no justice on the other end of it. People say, but where is the grace? Wasn't Jesus all about grace? Yes, Jesus was all about grace. But why was Jesus all about grace? Because Jesus knew the full reality of the punishment for sin. He was the epitome of grace because on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God. 
Grace can only exist where there is a consequence, and the consequence for sin is death. There are no bones about it. As long as we are evading death, we are receiving grace. And that's what Romans says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is the lesson that God was giving the Israelites, and this is the lesson that he has given us. Grace exists as a means not for freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. The administering of God's grace is so that we will be permanently free from our prisons of sin. And if you are saved, you are saved now from the penalty of sin, but there is a great day awaiting us when we will also be saved from the very presence of sin. And if we truly understand God's radical grace, then nothing in us would make us want to take grace as an opportunity to continue in sin. But we do. Why? Because like Israel, Israel, we still have a sin nature. And that nature is at war within us. But you see, when we start to understand what the grace of God entails of us, then we also understand what the grace of God requires of us. Why does Israel reject God as their king, though he given them such grace and life? For the same reason we reject Jesus giving of his life and grace. Because we know that anyone who gives their life and would offer such grace now also requires something of us. If you give someone grace, you don't do it so that they trample over you. You do it so that they would understand that you love them. One day there was a boy who was in his room playing a video game and his parents had told his, their son that he only had one hour to play. Well, after about an hour and a half, he was still on the game and his dad kind of walked by the room and the boy looked at him and thought, well, he didn't say anything, so that must mean he's okay with it. After about two hours, the dad actually walked in the room this time and he kind of walked around, looked around, but then he walked back out. Finally, after three hours, he told the boy, get off the game, and that he was on punishment. Shocked, the son asked, why? And he said, because you stayed on the game two hours longer than you were supposed to. He said to his dad, but I thought you were okay with it. You walked by, and you even walked in without saying anything. And the dad said, yes, that was me giving you the space to get it right without me having to come down on you. But you took that grace as permission, but it was there to help you recognize it and do right. And that brings us to our final point. Grace should lead us to repentance. Grace should lead us to repentance. Look at what the text says here. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. 
Once the people realized how God had lavished them with grace despite their sins, they confessed their wrongs. What is it about realizing that we have been given grace that should make us repent? Well, it's the same thing that makes someone harden their heart. You see how offensive you have been, but you also see that you've been given this space to grow in the grace of God. The person who hardens their heart at this grace is angered because they see how deeply the sin roots in their life actually grows. And while they want to accept their, that grace, they don't want to admit their sinfulness. But to the person who repents, they see a bleeding Savior on the cross enduring for them the punishment for their sins. And their response is that I now owe him everything. There is something miraculous when a person looks back over their life to see genuine moments where they can see the love and the forgiveness of God, and it causes them to change. And Y'all, this is why we can't save ourselves. This is why we don't come to Christ on our own accord, because not a single one of us can muster up the need for repentance that necessitates our salvation. What we get from God and what we learn is that we have all received this radical grace from God, which was the means of our salvation. You know, every one of us has a moment of grace. And I don't mean that every one of us in this room is a Christian, but I do mean that every one of us remembers a time when we were obstinate, when we were rude, or we were just plain mean to someone and we didn't get the treatment we deserved. I actually remember that moment for myself when I was in kindergarten. I don't remember exactly what I did, but I remember I did something to lose my PE privileges. And so it was me who never really got in trouble, and some of the other kids who always got in trouble, and we were standing on what I felt like was the trouble fence. And we watched everybody else play, and we sat there in trouble. And I heard my teacher kind of talking to another teacher, and then she finally looked and told me, she said, Brandon, you go on, you can play. Now, I know what you're thinking, Brandon, that is such a small thing to remember about the grace of God. But let me tell you why I remember it. Because I never got in trouble again. I never got in trouble again. It wasn't because I was this great kid. I wasn't. I got in trouble a lot of times at home. But in terms of at that school, I never got in trouble again. Why? Because I knew I received this special grace. And I knew that if I messed up again, that there was a chance that I would not get that same grace going forward. And so my response to that grace was changed behavior. It was repentance. I turned away from the thing that had gotten me in trouble. Likewise, we have all received this innumerable amount of grace from God our Father. And while all of us have continued to receive this grace, for those of us who do not know the Lord, that grace runs out. There are people that that grace ran out for. We learn about them in the Bible, whether it is the rich young ruler who that grace ran out for him and 
He is, as Jesus tells us in the parable, in hell, yet he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he pleads, let me go back and tell my brothers. And the response is, your brothers all had the same grace that you had. Your brothers had Moses and they had the prophets. They won't even repent if a man comes back from the dead. There is a time when that grace runs out. And when it does, we will have to make that payment. There is a judgment rendered, and the reason why we don't take advantage of his grace is so that we don't run the risk that this is the last time we will be receiving his grace. And the beauty of our salvation is that there is nothing that any of us can do to forfeit it. If we have been saved, we are sealed for all of eternity because there's one thing about the grace of God. You can't undo it. When he crucified us on the cross with him, we were now dead like he was dead and we were raised in a newness of life like he was raised. There mean, that means there is no separation from us and him. We have been saved and that salvation is fixed from now until all of eternity. That's a blessing. And the only reason that can happen is because your salvation and my salvation is not the product of my goodness. Because I will tell you like this, if I could lose my salvation, I would. If I could forfeit it, I would. But because of the insurmountable grace of God I have received, there is nothing that I can do. There is nothing that anybody else can do that can snatch me out of his hand. We are secure for all of eternity. And if we are saved, then the enduring and radical grace of God that we have received will preserve us until the end. That is our blessed hope. That he doesn't just save me for the day, but he has saved us for all of eternity. That is what the radical grace of God looks like. But this is the truth. For any of us who does not know him, none of us knows the day. None of us knows our time, but each one of us has an end date. And yet we would like to think that we're going to live long into our hundreds and all of that, but we don't know. There is a moment when a judgment will be rendered on our lives. And like the rich young ruler, it would be too late to look back at that grace. All we will have is the pain and the agony knowing that God had extended grace to us. And so my prayer is that if you're in this room today and you say, I don't know anything about having a sin debt. I don't know anything about having Jesus pay that debt. Well, this is a day for you to know. You, like me, were born a sinner. You were born with a sin debt that needed to be paid. Jesus Christ came as the only sinless man, both being truly God and truly man. He had no sin, which means he had no sin debt. 
And when he went to the cross being crucified on our behalf, he satisfied the wrath of God for sin. He had no sin debt. So he paid the debt off that we had. Now, if you are not a Christian, your debt is not paid. And you will have to be the sacrifice for your sin. And the unfortunate reality is that the only reason, the only way you can pay that debt off is that you have to suffer for all of eternity because you don't have enough money in your account to ever pay that debt off. And so the only way that your sin debt will actually be satisfied is through the sinless offering of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the truth of the gospel. And that's what radical grace looks like. So I'm going to pray and we're going to close. But as I pray, if you think to yourself, hey, I don't know anything about having my sin debt paid off. I don't know anything about that. I'm going to pray specifically for you. And if there's anyone here who wants to give their life to Christ and just say, hey, I want to make a decision regarding Christ. I realize the depth of my sin. I pray that this is the day that you come up and do that. So we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. God, we thank you that you have given us this radical grace. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. There's nothing in us that merits this grace. There's nothing in us that deserves it. That's why it's grace. Because in us, we have all the sin that necessitates this grace. So, Lord, we pray that for anyone in this room who does not know you, that they don't take advantage of that grace. God, that this is the day that they finally see you for who you are on the cross. And they see themselves as the sinners that they are, knowing that their only hope at eternity and their only hope at redemption comes through you and from you. Lord, we don't have enough money in our accounts to pay our sins off. So we need you to do it. And Lord, for those of us who know you, God, I pray that we will continue to walk in the perseverance, knowing that you have sealed us, you have saved us until the day of Jesus Christ. And that our salvation is a product of your grace. And that our enduring is a product of your love, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.